You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started tonight. <clears throat> you ready for some word? <laughs> Me too. Yes. Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Oh, we're just so grateful for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for the price that he paid, his precious blood that was shed for us. And thank you, Lord, that we're redeemed tonight, that we've been healed and set free and delivered. And Father, we thank you tonight as we approach the word of God, we believe for the Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead and guide us into all truth, just like Jesus said he would. And we release our faith right now and we believe to be taught. We thank you, Father, for revelation knowledge and insight to flow freely tonight. And Lord, we'll be mindful to not just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you would like amen. to turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to meet you there in just a moment. We're going to do a few lessons, and this will probably spill over uh, uh, beyond Christmas, but uh, I taught on this three years ago, and uh, I entitled it then uh, Strategies for Winning. I don't know about you, but I like to win. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got tickled. I was playing a, a card game with some friends of mine the other night and uh, kind of like an Uno-type card game. And uh, uh, I'd only played it one time before, and unfortunately, uh, I did not win. I lost. And, uh, you know, I don't like to lose. And I know most of us don't like to lose either, whether it's a game or, but, you know, how about, uh, playing life, you know, just navigating life. I don't think any of us like to lose in life. And, uh, one thing that I did notice though, in playing that game the other night, because the folks that I was playing with, uh, they, uh, were a little more skilled and they were, more familiar, <clears throat> pardon me, with the game. And so they understood some strategies in how to win, but they uh, went a step further. And so I, as I said, I, I called this series strategies for winning before, but I want to change it. And, I, and this time I want to call it tactics for winning, tactics for winning. And, uh, you know, I've and the reason being is I, I looked up the, the definition uh, for those two words. A strategy is an action plan that takes you where you want to go. So in other words, I plan to win. I plan, uh, you know, I go into a competition and I plan to win. So my strategy is to win, but my tactics are how I'm going to get there. My tactics are the things that I do, the actions that will get me to that place of victory. So we're going to change it up just a little bit, and we're going to call it tactics for winning. And so I'm going to give you some very, very practical things for those of you 
who might not remember uh, this series. I taught it back during uh, the the when the pandemic was full blast, and so uh, we'll just we'll get into this and and um, navigate our way through it. But you know, one thing that you'll notice the longer that you're a Christian is that. Uh, the Christian life, and this is what I teach, is a life of victory. Not just I teach it, but the Bible teaches it. But how many of you know that victories don't come without battles or without opposition? So in order for us to have victories in our life, to be victorious in our life, we're going to have some opposition. We're going to have some uh, trials. We're going to have some opportunities to be able to walk out our victory. Now, you need to understand that God has a purpose uh, for battles or in battles, and, and the devil has a purpose in battles. The devil's purpose is very clear. Jesus made it uh, apparently clear in, in uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, where he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come uh, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, what, we're going to talk about some of what, what is God seeking to accomplish in those times when we are in the battle. And uh, let me say this, God is never the author of those battles. God does not orchestrate those things. God doesn't bring adversity into our lives. He is not the one that orchestrates and orders all of that in order to strengthen us and teach us and, and so forth and so on. But at the same time, if you, uh, you know, if you've walked with the Lord any time at all, you'll learn that God doesn't necessarily come and snatch you out of every problem that you pray and, you know, or believe in God for victory in. Um, uh, sometimes, if not a lot of times, he will carry you through the battle to bring you to that place of victory. And we're going to talk about why does he do it that way? Why does, you know, why couldn't he just wave a magic wand over us and snatch us out of every problem that we face and just show up with the answer? And, you know, what there, there is a reason that he is endeavoring to, or something that he is endeavoring to do in our lives. And so there will be times when he will bring us through situations, but he will bring us to victory on the other side of it. So again, the, the life of faith and the word of God that I teach and that others teach and that we adhere to has never been designed uh, or, or attempted to tell you that we're exempt from adversity. No, no, things happen to all of us. Life happens to all of us. But here's the good news. We, it, we can, if we will do what the word of God says, come out victorious every single time. And so that's, that's the hope that we hang on to. Now, again, as long as we live in this broken, fallen, curse-filled world, we will have battles in times of adversity. So just kind of understand that. And, uh, you know, I think part of being able to remain peaceful during those times is to understand that and to, you know, not be shocked when trouble shows up. But here's the thing. What sets us apart? What What is the defining factor? Well, basically, the defining factor in whether you come out victorious in these situations is knowing what to do, knowing what steps to take, knowing what you need to do. 
And unfortunately, where a lot of Christians end up in defeat is because they don't know what to do or don't understand how to apply certain principles to their lives. And so, unfortunately, uh, they don't come out victorious. Now, you're there in 2 Timothy. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the reason I read that scripture is because I want you to understand something going into this. You have everything at your disposal that Jesus had at his disposal when he was walking in the earth and overcame every single time. Jesus, because he is Jesus, did not have some kind of bag of magic tricks that he could draw from, and uh, that's how he was able to win and overcome the, the enemy at every turn. You and I have the same resources available to us. We have the Holy Spirit, First of all, we have a relationship with God the Father. Secondly, we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And then we have access to the Word of God. And if you'll think about this, you actually have access to more of the written Word of God than Jesus had when he was in the earth. You know, the, the written Word of God, the New Testament, did not exist when Jesus was uh, ministering and living in the earth. And so what you have, again more at your disposal than what Jesus had. I want to read that scripture to you from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified says this, every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living and conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action, and then verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient. That's a key word right there, proficient. God wants us to be complete and proficient. Proficient means that you are have gone through the process, whatever the process is, and you're, you're skilled at that process. And so we, uh, God wants us to be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as the word of God becomes a part of you, as, as you feed on the word of God, as you study the word, as you meditate on the word, it will do exactly what that scripture says. It will instruct you. It will correct you. It will reprove you and uh, it will equip you at the same time. So the good news is that, that because of the equipping that the word of God brings into our lives, it facilitates us being able to live a victorious life. So uh, I want to encourage you with this statement. Instead of asking yourself this question, you know, when you get up in the morning, don't ask yourself, what am I going to face today? Ask yourself the question, how am I going to grow today? You know, look for opportunities. You know, when trials and temptations and tribulations and, and adversity shows up in your life, don't, don't let your attitude be, oh, here we go again, another problem that I got to deal with. No, ha let your attitude be, okay, I'm going to do what the word says. And in, in this situation, I am going to use it 
to grow and mature in my walk with the Lord. Okay. Now here's something I want you to write down. Okay. Cause I want to clarify this and make sure that we understand this clearly because there's a large number of Christians that do not. Okay. Here we go. Write this down. We grow by the word of God. The word of God is what produces spiritual growth in our lives. So as we, as I said, feed upon the word of God, we meditate on the word of God. We hear the word of God. We study it. We just make it a part of our lives. That is how we grow in the things of God and mature in the things of God. Now we grow through circumstances, not by circumstances. Okay. So we grow as we go through circumstances, but the circumstances don't cause the growth itself. And I'll explain this as we get on into it, but you, you grow by the word of God, but you know, and I know there's a lot of people that uh, would probably disagree with that statement. They think that when circumstances, negative circumstances, trials, whatever shows up in our lives, that that's what God uses to grow us. And that's not the case. You grow through those things, but you don't grow by them. Okay. So I'll explain as we get into this, uh, make a note of this circumstances are simply the stage that is set before us to give us the opportunities to grow. Circumstances are simply the stage that is set before us to give us opportunities to grow through them. Okay. One more time. Circumstances, <clears throat> pardon me, are simply the stage that is set before us to give us opportunities to grow through them. So let me give you a, an example. If you're familiar with, uh, you know, working out and using weights and, and the gym and so forth, you know, I, I want you to think about this statement. You do not grow stronger because of the weights in the gym. You grow stronger as you resist and exert energy against those weights. If you think about it, and if you know anything about physiology, that when you lift weights, when you experience resistance in your muscles through those machines or through weights or whatever the case might be, it's not the weights that are causing growth. What the weights actually do is break down your muscles as you work out and as you, especially if you, if you do enough reps to where you're at the point of exhaustion or, or failure is what they call it. Um, those weights are actually breaking your muscles down. What causes growth in your body when you're lifting weights and so forth are not the weights, but the growth and what happens as you resist those weights and your body recuperates and grows from being torn down by those weights. So what I'm saying to you is this, that the weights directly are not what cause you to grow. What causes you to grow is when you resist those weights. Cause let me say it to you this way. If weights are what caused me to grow and become more muscular, then all I'd have to do is just walk into the gym. And because I'm in the environment with a whole bunch of weights, well, you know that that's not going to happen. That's not the case. It's as I, 
use them and resist them that causes growth to take place in my body. So the same thing is true spiritually. Just because I go through adversity or I am in adversity doesn't mean I'm going to grow in that adversity. Where the growth comes from is as I resist, as I use the word of God, as I use my faith and I resist the adversity, that's when the growth takes place. Because many of us know, you know, there's tons of Christians walking around that love Jesus and adversity shows up in their life, but it doesn't produce any uh, spiritual growth for them. Why? Because they don't know that they're supposed to resist that. And so it's the resistance of the adversity that causes the spiritual growth. Now, I want to say this to you. Owning one of these, owning a Bible, just like me walking in that gym, owning a Bible does not make you spiritually mature. You have to get the word off of the page and into your heart and then begin applying it to your life and then resisting the circumstances. So it's not just enough to have a bunch of Bibles around your home. You've got to get the word off of that page and into your heart and then begin to put it to work, resisting the adversity that's coming into your life. And then that's when spiritual growth and maturity actually take takes place. So Long story short is this, circumstances don't make you stronger. It is using the word against those circumstances that makes you stronger. Okay, so it's very important uh, because you'll hear people again, you'll hear people say, well, you know, trials make you stronger. Well, no, that's not the case because if every, if that was the case, then every Christian would be super Christians because all of us have to, to, uh, trials and, and so forth that we deal with. So if those things alone are what make you grow and strong, then every Christian would just be phenomenal in their Christian growth. And we know that that's not the case. Okay. So circumstances, again, are simply an opportunity that's presented to us to use the word of God and the weapons that God has given us to overcome that adversity. So let me say that again. Circumstances are simply opportunities to use the word of God and the, the weapons of our warfare that God has given us to overcome every situation. Okay. So in our Christian lives, we ought to grow through those negative circumstances, just like, and listen to me, you ought to grow in times of blessing. You ought to grow not only when things are going bad, but you ought to grow when things are going good. And, and then also, as you're in conflict and you're dealing with those times of adversity, you need to grow during both times. In other words, you could grow through every circumstance, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And I'm going to talk to you about the good times in just a little bit. But when the devil brings bad circumstances in your life, let God turn that around for your good and not only able to you to overcome them, but to grow in the process. So again, I remind you, when adversity shows up, don't, don't say, oh Lord, here we go. Here's another problem. Here's another opportunity. I, 
uh, I, you know, I, I, here's an opportunity for me to get sick. Here's an opportunity for me to have a financial need. That might be the case, but why don't you let your attitude be this? Okay, Lord, I already know that in all of these circumstances, I win and overcome. So I want you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit to show me how I can grow and mature in this as I resist it with the word of God. Okay. Now, every blessing in life that we receive. Now, here's the good part. So we know adversity shows up, but listen, every blessing that shows up in your life has a test associated with it as well. And that test is this, when times are good, are you going to continue to follow the Lord with the same fervor that you do when times are bad? That's the test. And that's what you're going to have to pass. And so uh, you know, were we only following God with all of our heart, all of our strength, with every fiber of our being because times were tough, or were we following God and, and doing what the word says because we love him and we want to please him and we want to walk with him as closely as we possibly can. <clears throat> so that's, that's the test that comes when times are good. Look back with me at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Go back in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, let's look at verse 3. And I'm going to show you a scripture that, that emphasizes or just kind of says what I'm explaining to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. So, if you read Deuteronomy 8 in all of its context, it's a, a warning from the Lord as the children of Israel are preparing to go into the promised land, and he's warning them, hey, look, you're getting ready to go into a land that flows with milk and honey, that you're going to occupy homes that you didn't build, and times are going to be very good. And so the overall theme of chapter 8 is this, you know, don't forget God when the times are good. Verse three says this. Um, well, let, let me read verse two. He says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Notice this, to humble you and to test or prove you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man, and this is the scripture that Jesus quotes, that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what, what the scripture is telling us is, is that, that during the adversity that the children of Israel experienced in the, you know, in the wilderness, looking for water, looking for something to eat, God provided for them, but he never wanted them to get to a place where their faith and their dependency was in the manna and their faith and dependency was in the quail and their faith and dependency was in the water that flows out of the rock. No, he wanted to bring them to a place of faith where their trust and confidence was in him alone. Now, here's a secret that I want to give to you, and th this is emphasized in this verse. He said, uh, 
man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I want to say this to you. I hope this doesn't happen to you, but if you lost everything tomorrow, I mean, everything, your, your home, your car, your transportation, all of your money, everything in your life, if you lost it tomorrow, here's what Jesus was saying, and here's what the Lord is saying to the children of Israel. The natural thing is not what's going to get you over. The word of God will put you over every single time. So here's what I'm saying to you. You could lose everything tomorrow, but if your faith is in the word of God, God can get it back to you again. I hope that makes sense to you. If you lost everything tomorrow, and I hope you don't, but uh, you know, if you faced just deep adversity tomorrow, here's where God is wanting to bring you to a place to where it doesn't affect you. You just begin to say, Lord, I thank you that my trust is not in the, the supply. My trust is not in, you know, what you use to meet that need. No, my trust is in your word. And I know your word will bring me through and will take me from zero to the top again, if that's what is necessary and that's what needs to take place. Okay. So, you know, let me say this to you, whether I have money or I don't have money, I must come to the realization that money is not my answer. The word of God is my answer because the word of God will produce money in my life every single time. Money won't produce money by itself, okay? The word of God, though, if I put my trust and confidence in the word and my trust is in God and what he has promised me, then he is my source, not the money, not my job, not the bank, not the credit card, not my relatives. God is my source. And so when I go into adversity and hard times, that will keep me steady and that will keep me consistent because I know that again, if I'm brought to zero, then God and his word are able to rebuild and restore and replenish my life once again. Okay. So in other words, during times of adversity, we come to the point where the word of God becomes the most precious thing to us. Uh, simply, uh, because it's, it is what God uses to meet our needs and to take care of us. It is my faith in his word that is going to cause my needs to be supplied. It's going to be my faith in his word that allows him to release his power into my life, to cause my body to be healed, to cause, uh, you know, every need to be taken care of. So here's what I, I, I want to want you to write this down for me. Okay. Money can never bring me the word of God, but the word of God can always bring me money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. That's good. I'm going to amen myself on that one. Uh, money can never bring me the word of God, but the word of God can always bring me money. And of course it's, it's, it's God's power moving on my behalf to meet the need. But that's what I'm wanting you to see. 
See, money can never bring me closer to God, but getting me, get me getting closer to God can bring money into my life. Let me say that to you again. Money will never and can never bring me closer to God, but if I will draw close to God and close to his word and keep my trust and confidence in him, then God can bring money into my life. Okay. So it's very, very important. So coming through adversity should give me and you a greater appreciation for the word of God. You know, it's, it's, I, I can't emphasize that enough that, that when you are experiencing adversity, this is going to be your answer. This is going to be, of course, by the Holy Spirit, but this is where your help is going to come from. And so, you know, and as I always tell you, run there first. Don't run to everything else first. Run to the word first when adversity shows up and the pressure arises, okay? So when you come through adversity and you've stood on the word of God, you will come out on the other side more mature than you went into the adversity. Why? Because <clears throat> it's your faith. It's the exercising of the word of God. It's the resistance that you're uh, exerting spiritually towards that adversity. That's where your growth is coming from. Okay. So let me give you three things that you, that can happen to you when adversity shows up. All right. Three things that can happen to you in adversity. Number one, you can be hardened by it. You know, adversity, trials, trouble, whatever you want to call it. If you allow it to, it can harden you. It can make you angry. It can make you bitter. Um, you know, it can just cause your heart to get hard. Adversity, you know, particularly, uh, you know, if you experience a lot of it, you get mad at God, get mad at people and just a, you get hardened by it. Number two, you can be overwhelmed and crushed by adversity. Now you don't have to, but it can happen. You can get overwhelmed and crushed by adversity. And then third, and, and you and I are the determining factors in this. Number three, you can stand on God's word and choose to grow through that adversity. So you can let it harden you. You can let it overwhelm you, or you can make the decision. You know what? Bless God. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to believe that God's word is true. I'm going to act like it's true. And I'm going to use my faith and I'm going to grow through this adversity. Okay. Now, let me show you something and go over with me to first Peter chapter one, please. First Peter chapter one. And, and a lot of folks misquote these verses that we're going to look at. Okay. First Peter chapter one, verse verses three through seven. Okay. First Peter one, three through seven, it says this blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy 
has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved or you have gone through various trials. Look at verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith, or another way to say that, the purity of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where people have missed it, and, and a lot of it has to do with other translations, but uh, I want to show you. Notice verse 7. He says that the purity or the genuineness of your faith being much more precious uh, than gold that perishes. So go, uh, he's likening, he's drawing the connection here that your faith is like gold, okay? And gold is a precious metal. How many of you know you just don't walk down and, and uh, you know, 99.99% of the time you're just walking along and you see gold all over the top of the dirt? No, that doesn't happen. Gold is precious and it's expensive and it's rare because it takes effort to find it. It takes effort to dig it up. It takes effort to mine it out of the earth. It's not something that is just easily found on the surface. And, and Peter is telling us that faith is just like that gold. And uh, so gold is, is a precious metal because it's a rare commodity. Now hold your finger there in 1 Peter and go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now make a note, gold is precious because it's rare. So if, if he's likening your faith to gold, then what that says is pure faith is precious and rare. Okay. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. All right, let's stop right there. Notice this, no temptation. So you could reverse that and say, every temptation is common to man. Okay. So in that word temptation is the same word that could be translated adversity. It could be translation, translated trials. So what he's saying is, Temptation, test, trials, adversity is common to everybody. Okay, do you see that? All right. He says, and but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, little side note here. This is where people get the, they take that scripture, take part of it out of context, and this is where people misquote it, and they say things like, God will never put on you more than you can handle. Well, first of all, that is not found in the Bible. 
There is no scripture that says that. This verse is saying that God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able to resist and overcome. Because with the temptation, he always makes a way of escape, a way out of the temptation, a way to overcome it, a way of victory. Okay. But what I'm wanting to focus on is the first part of that verse. So temptations, tests, and trials are common. All right. So, so track with me here. Peter said this, your faith and the pure purity of your faith is precious and rare like gold. Temptations, tests, and trials are not rare. They're, they're common to everybody. Okay. So a lot of people say this, well, you know, temptations, tests, and trials are, are precious like gold because they purify. No, that's not what he said. Okay. He said, your faith is what is valuable. Your faith is what is precious. Your faith is the rare commodity, but temptations, tests, and trials are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. Everybody overcomes them. Okay. So go back to first Peter chapter five uh, or chapter one again, please flip back over there. So again, verse seven, that the purity of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. It what your faith, though your faith is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, your faith is rare and precious and valuable like gold. He says, what the temptations, tests, and trials do are like fire when you put fire to gold, okay? So temptations, tests, and trials are like the fire. Your, your, your faith is like the gold. Okay. So fire will never create gold. Never. If it did, all you'd have to do is go outside tonight after we get through and light a fire in your yard and you could have all the gold that you want. So temptations, tests, and trials do not produce faith in your life. They don't. The only thing that temptations, tests, and trials do is help you to eliminate the impurities so that your faith becomes more and more pure so that you are able to win and overcome the temptation, test, or trial. Okay? So trials never will, and this is where a lot of people miss it. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I had that situation that happened in my life. And, you know, uh, when I had that diagnosis and I had went through that time when I had cancer, you know, my faith just grew so much because of that cancer. No, it didn't. Your faith didn't grow because of the cancer. Your faith grew because you got into the word and you exercised your faith while you were overcoming the cancer. But the cancer is, has never and will never produce faith in your life. Any adversity in our lives 
none of it will produce faith. The only thing that produces faith in your life and mine is the word of God. Okay. But a lot of people think that great tests and trials are what produces faith in our lives. And it absolutely is not true. Gold, just like gold. I mean, if you really want to strike it rich in gold, you've got to go somewhere where, you know, gold is present and start digging and you got to dig, you know, the, the, probably the, the greatest nation in the world that is a source of gold is South Africa. And you can go over to South Africa and they have gold mines where they are, I mean, thousands of feet into the earth and they're mining gold out of the earth. And so what, what, what enables them to find that gold is to dig and to exert some effort and to, um, you know, to mine it out, to go through the effort, to mine it out. But, uh, so here's what they do. They bring up all of that gold, but here's what happens when they bring up all of that gold, there's some dirt, there's some other minerals that are with it. And so they have to do something in order to purify that gold. What they do is they heat it up. They apply fire to it. And that fire goes to work to separate everything else, all the other minerals, the impurities, the, the dirt, everything else. And what is left is nothing but pure gold. Okay. Now here's something I want you to write down. Fire never destroys gold. Now you remember what fire is. Fire is the temptations, tests, and trials. Mm -hmm. Fire never destroys gold. It only works to liquefy it and allow it to be purified. So in the, on the same token, trials cannot and will not destroy your faith. The only thing that destroys your faith is if you don't use it or you give up. I know that's a tough saying, but it's the truth. The only thing that will cause your faith to weaken and, and be destroyed is if you don't use it and, and you or in the middle of the test or trial, you, you give up and you quit, quit the resistance. Okay. Faith in God's word will always contain the power through God to overcome any trial. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how great it is. Doesn't matter how small it is. You know, somebody says, well, you know, my situation, you just don't know my situation. I'm dealing with a big problem. Well, you may be dealing with a big problem, but are you trying to tell me that your big problem is bigger and greater than the power of God and what God is able to do in that situation? Well, surely not. I mean, that's foolish. Your, your problem, it might be big to you, and I'm not minimizing that, but your problem pales in comparison to what the power of God is able to do in your life and in that situation. Okay. So trials will never destroy your faith. Faith in God's word always has enough power present to overcome any situation. 
And so temptation, tests, or trials in our lives will never overcome your faith unless you refuse to use it, unless you do not use it. Okay, so I go back to my point. Trials do not build your faith. They just give you an opportunity to exercise and use your faith. And as you exercise and use your faith, your faith gets stronger. So let me say that again. Trials don't build your faith. Just like walking in the gym, those weights being present there don't do anything for you. They just give you an opportunity to pick them up and go to work. And if you'll exercise your faith, and as you exercise your faith, your faith will grow and get stronger, just like your physical body does when you uh, resist those weights in the machine or whatever the case might be. Okay. All right. Now, are you tracking with me so far? All right. Let's look at a story from the Old Testament. Okay. That is, it's a great story. Let's go to the book of Daniel chapter three, please. Daniel chapter three. And uh, we'll, we'll see how far we can get into this tonight. Daniel chapter three. And I want to show you a situation from Daniel that, that bears out the principles that we're talking about, the, the, the strategies and the tactics that we're talking about tonight. Daniel chapter three, verse one. Now, many of you know, Daniel was one of the Hebrew young men that was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and taken back to Babylon. He, along with uh, their Babylonian names or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, all of them, that was the same time. So they're all in Babylon and they were all put in positions to serve the king and to do whatever he wanted them to do. And so in Daniel chapter three, verse one, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, that's a, a old English word for governors, the administrators, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar made this huge idol of himself, and uh, he's setting it up so the people can come and, and worship before this idol. So the, the satraps, the administrators, Verse three, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of that image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had stood up. And then a herald cried out aloud, uh, saying this, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre. In other words, when the band cranks up, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, lyre, in other words, when the band cranked up, all with all kinds of music, all the people, the nations and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image 
which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so uh, here you have this whole situation being played out, and you have these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And something happens, though, that where they refuse to worship this image, they refuse to worship uh, this idol. Okay, so you know the story. You know what happens. They get arrested and hauled in before the king. And even though the king really likes them because of this decree that was issued, he has to follow through with it. And so you know the story that they end up getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Okay, so, <clears throat> you know, um, the three men, you know, think about this. They had great opportunity to sit around and say, you know what, Lord, I don't understand why I'm in this situation. Why are we always being picked on? Why are we always the ones that are the victims? You know, and then uh, God could be saying, you know, that's not my fight. I really don't have to get involved. And we know none of that is what happened. And so uh, let's go down to verse 14. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, in other words, when the band cranks up again, I'm going to give you a second chance. He says, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. So, so this is what you need to do. Here's your second opportunity because I really like you guys. When you hear the band crank up again, I'll give you an opportunity. You go ahead and bow down. He says, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, in, in other words, if you decide to throw us in the furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, and they're not saying, but if God doesn't deliver us, they're saying, but if you decide not to throw us in, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Okay, so... Notice what they said. God is able and God will deliver us. Notice how definitive they were. You know, they weren't standing there washing their, I mean, you know, doing like this going, I'm a hoping and a praying God comes through for us this time. You know, we've always been faithful to the Lord and I, I just hope he comes through. No, they, they were emphatic. They said, if you throw us in the fiery furnace, God will show up. Not only is he able to deliver us, he will deliver us. Now, how does somebody tell me, how does faith come? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God. Exactly. All right. Hold your place there in Daniel. Go back with me real quick to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew history, Isaiah was alive and was prophesying in Israel at the time Nebuchadnezzar came and hauled all these people away to Babylon. 
So the children of Israel heard what the prophet Isaiah was saying. So in Isaiah chapter 43, and look with me at verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1. The Lord says this, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Now, if you know anything about Middle Eastern geography, uh, Babylon at the time is modern day Iraq. Okay. Mm -hmm. And where Nebuchadnezzar's palace was and all of that is near the area, which is modern day Baghdad in Iraq. Okay. So if you know anything about geography, there are two rivers that run through Iraq. It is the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when the children of Israel were taken captive and were taken into Babylon, guess what? They had to cross to get into Babylon, two rivers. Mm -hmm. And so God already declared to him, when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. So just know this, even though you're going to be taken captive, I'm going to be with you and those waters will not overflow you. You will not drown in those rivers as you cross through them to get where they're taking you. Okay. Now notice the next statement in verse two, when you walk through the fire, you <laughs> shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel, your savior. Well, that's an odd thing to prophesy. You know, when are they going to pass through fire? I mean, that, that doesn't happen every day. Well, this is something the Lord was declaring. And so again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that God would show up in the middle of this situation? And not only is he able to deliver them, but he would deliver them because of what the promise that was declared to them through the prophet Isaiah. Though you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and uh, nor shall the flame scorch you. Okay, And you know the story, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, you know, as, as Nebuchadnezzar promised. And we know that the fourth man, who is a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus, he showed up in the middle of the fire and walked with them and delivered them and brought them out. And you, what is interesting, and we won't turn there for the sake of time tonight, but the Bible says that those three men came out of that fiery furnace, their hair wasn't singed, their clothes weren't burned, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Mm -hmm. Now that's awesome. I, I, I went out of town this week. The folks I was playing cards with, they have a wood burning stove in their home. It's up in the mountains. And of course it was cold up there the last couple of days, last couple of nights. And so, you know, and helping poking around in the fire and stuff, you know, it was, it was very easy to walk out of there smelling like smoke. And that's just from being in the same room with that wood burning stove. 
Well, here these guys were thrown into a fire that should have burnt them up. And yet because of the power of God and their faith in God's word and what God's word said, it caused them not to even be touched by the flame and their, their clothes burned and they didn't even smell like smoke because of what God had declared and they decided to believe what God's word says. So you need to know this. The power of God is present to help and protect you, but it happens by faith. Notice these guys didn't go into that situation. As I said, you know, we're just hoping God comes through this time. No, they definitively stood up and in the face of the king said, hey, king, you know, if you decide to throw us in the fire, well, guess what? Our God is able to to deliver us and he will bring us out of the fire. And you know what I think is cool? Just a little detail, because you know, I teach you all the time, pay attention to the details. Did you notice when they came out of the fire, what was burned? The ropes that they tied them up with to throw them into the fire, they were burned off. Mm-hmm. See, here's what will happen. And this is part of that purification process. See, if there you, you go into a, a, a temptation test or trial, which is like the fire, and you stay in faith on God's word, if there's something attached to you that doesn't need to be attached to you, God will see to it that the power of God will not only show up and deliver you and bring you out of that situation, but it will burn off those things that are trying to attach themselves to you and stay hooked on you that are hindering your walk with God. The power of God will show up and do that on your behalf. And so praise God, I'm out of time, but uh, I wanted to just touch base on that story real quick and and, uh, let you see somebody that went through a literal fire and when they stood in faith on God's word, what God did and what his, what his word was able to do. And, you know, we just read through those miracles sometimes and we think that they just did it. No, they did it. And they stood in faith because they had God's word on the matter. They had what God had already promised them. And so they held on to that. They stood in faith on that. And that's what got them through the fiery trial. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.